1: Visit
2: voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns,
0: opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, the gotta let it go. So Fast YOU'RE PA!
1: back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch, episode 46, covering Freedom Fight 2013 from the Cursed Brooklyn Lyceum in New York and on November 17, 2013. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to support the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to RedCircle.com. Just click the red box that says sponsor this podcast, and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No requirement whatsoever, but I would like to thank our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal. Mike Spears, joined as always by my co-host and friend, Case Lowe. And Case, this was a show I was dreading when we started this prog- the, this whole entire project. I was expecting that maybe we got so busy that we would not have to watch this show. But, buddy, we're in the Lyceum now.
2: Yeah, this is definitely one that when we started this, and and I knew we would hit this at some point. I was very committed to finishing this project once we started it. Did I imagine that when we started this in mid-March that there would be uh, just such an extreme amount of COVID still in the open? No, I did not. I was kind of hoping we'd uh, be on the downswing. It does not appear that we are that way, but... Yeah, this is, in a weird way, I guess an infamous Trangit USA show. Like, again, it's one that I distinctly had in my memory from watching live and just knowing everything that was on this show from the jump. So we are now in the infamous Brooklyn Lyceum. This is, you know, after Gabe loses the ECW Arena, after he loses BB Kings, and after he loses the Ace Arena in Union City, New Jersey, they are stuck without an East Coast venue. You know, the only other times they had run outside of, of here, they had the, the building last week that we talked about that they ran a few more times. we got one show left from that building. They tried a place for the anniversary show. That did not work out. And they obviously couldn't run the Meadowlands Convention Center in Secaucus, New Jersey. So they are at this building that I recently listened to an interview where Gabe did where he was talking about this building and how the venue only had one bathroom and that included uh, one bathroom for the talent and for the fans. And it was, you know, I, I believe Game noted a pretty small bathroom at that. And it's just one of those things. Like, you look at this show, and we've got timeline stuff to cover, but I want to make this point right off the bat. This show happens in November of 2013. And you turn this show on. It is a standard definition broadcast that... Is almost pitch black at times. I mean, we made fun of like I remember the show in Milwaukee in twenty eleven. Akira Tozawa does a run in where you literally can't see Akira Tozawa because it's so dark. This is not much better because this is the entire show. I was watching this. I had it projected on my TV. I was sitting across the room, and there are times where it's like, oh my god, like I don't even I don't know what's happening on the TV right now. Because this picture is so inexcusably awful.
1: (laughs) And it's something. So the Brooklyn Lyceum is a really old venue. I think it actually has like a heritage founding that it used to be like a public baths back when public baths were a thing. So the fact that there was one bathroom there at a former public bath, you're kind of like, oh, okay. And the lighting thing, just using overhead lights to not think, hey, I maybe need to get a light tracing that the windows are blacked out here. So it's just a very unpleasant visual experience.
2: No, it's the continued... uh, I don't know if I want to call it laziness, but just the the degradation of the Drangit USA brand. In July of 2009, they're talking about this premium wrestling product with the Golden Circle tickets and bonus matches. There's not a pre-show. It's it's bonus matches. Everything on the show is premium with backstage inserts from Larry Dallas and Chikarsen and translated promos from the Japanese talent. And here, there's nothing premium about this. I mean, it's it's borderline insulting to an extent, not to mention that the way we're watching this show is through one of the old... I, this is the WWE Live VOD feed, and Mike and I, for a long time, were keeping track of the DVD previews that they were showing, some backstage segments that they did. There's none of that on this show, what they did, I you know, I believe starting from here through you know the next handful of Evolve shows, was when they would upload the video on demand after the iPay-Per-View, it is just the iPay-Per-View rip. There's no editing. They didn't cut anything out. This file was much, much longer than any of the others that we had watched up this to this point because they didn't edit out intermission. They didn't edit out any of the long transition periods in between matches. At this point, it's a lazy product, and, and I was following the promotion at the time because it was something new and exciting for me. I was just getting into independent wrestling, but if I was a fan that had been on board since 2009, I would have found this product to be insulting.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that this is probably our two different experiences coming to play because I remember this. I'm like, yeah, no, this is why I checked out at the tail end of the promotion because it used to feel like an event. Now it feels like like this was a venue that no shade thrown towards them but this is like very much a beyond wrestling venue
2: and at the time beyond was running a better venue with with fan yeah. music in in rhode island i mean god can you imagine a Gate usa show there that would have been incredible
1: yeah yeah no absolutely it, it's just something that you watch this and you kind of come away with just depression in a way you know, like you're like oh no this is I, I i would have to wonder and i would love to like talk to people that you know, have a big memory of working within the company and saying, at this point, did you think that DG USA was pretty much done for? Because you watch the show and that's the big foreboding thing that comes out of it.
2: Two Japanese talents on the show. It will get even more dire on the next set of shows. But before we really get into Freedom Fight 2013, we're going to go to Japan. We're going to talk about Dragon Gate. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to try to get through in a short amount of time. But... Just to mirror what is going on in Japan and the excitement and the potential in the air of Dragon Gate Japan, to compare that to Dragon Gate USA is, is almost depressing, but we're going to go ahead and do it. And we're going to start in August of 2013. Last time we talked about Japan, which was on the fourth anniversary show, we mentioned that it was Kobe World, Shima lost his Open the Dreamgate title after 18 months to Shingo Takagi. It felt like the start of a new era coming out of World, and we begin... In August of 2013, we could do an entire 90-minute episode of Timeline stuff on August of 13. Instead, we're going to try to get through it as quick as possible. I'm going to throw some bullet points at Mike as to everything that happened in this month. And I will have Mike react to the following. Because on August 1st, the main event in Cork and Hall... A losing unit disbands, loser loses mask or hair, five versus four handicap, two count rules match, where Yamato, Akira Tozawa, BB Hulk, KZ, and Mondai Ryu defeat Shingo Takagi, Cyber Kong, Super Shenlong, and Chihiro Tamanaga. Mad Blanky ends Akatsuki, and then after the match, Yamato turns on Akira Tozawa and proclaims himself to be the leader of Mad Blanky. Before Mike responds, I'm going to transition to the Cork and Hall show at the end of this month. The August 23rd show, where after turning on Akira Tozawa, after ending Akatsuki, Yamato continues his reign of dominance. Shingo Takagi loses the Open the Dreamgate title in his first defense after a box attack and a Frankenstein of the Almighty in 27 minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, Mike, this destroy people's brains at the time what is your memory <laughs> of the reaction to not only Akatsuki uh, disbanding which I think people expected but Shingo losing in his first offense which I don't think anybody expected
1: well Akatsuki was going to disband Akatsuki was pretty much a DOA unit it never really got out of the gates this was the unit that Jay famously said, "Oh yeah, this is Shingo, the high school jock bully, in his Trans aim with Yamato <laughs> in the front seat and shoving Shahiro Tamanaga and Super Shenlong Three in the back seat and making them like have to like be cramped up because the because uh, the seniors would have the seats all the way back of course." <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is this was one of those matches that was lost for a while though. I know that we refound it and just kind of a wild one, especially because coming out of this Super Shenlong unmasks and then has one of the longest names for like about a month the former super sin long three yosuke wanabe which is really pleasant to say a lot and of course like this is the big transition for both Matt Blanky and yamato because before this yamato never really left the battleship gimmick that was always kind of still a part of him in a way but he had pretty much a full-fledged gimmick change he became the almighty which is his gimmick to this day which was basically he used to have a mirror they come out and stare at that he was basically just self-absorbed and thought that he was omniscient and omnipresent and he had the frankenstein or the almighty which became like his big flash pen and defeating shingo takagi becoming a zero key champion which is a big thing if someone doesn't get a key on that belt then you're seen as kind of a failure i mean ryo saito never really recovered from that right so it's just one of those things that you like watching this. And, of course, there's one other big thing that you did not mention that happened on the tw- on the August 23rd, uh, Corkin.
2: Yes. Well, there there were two secondary matches that I wanted to mention real quick because they kind of tie into one another. Uh, August 1st opened the Bravegate Championship match where Masato Yoshino defends the belt against Noruki Doi. And then August 23rd, a four versus four Nanawa elimination match with Mad Blanky and World One International, where Hulk, KZ, Mandai Ryu, and Uha Nation defeated Naruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, Ricochet, and Sachi Hoko Boy. Were those the matches you were referring to?
1: Somewhat, but I think I might be off on my date about something.
2: I, it, I believe you're looking ahead a month. We, we will get there.
1: Uh, that's right. That's right. That, that's on May.
2: But after the Shingo versus Yamato match, all of the units enter the ring, World 1, the Jimmys, and Team Veteran. Yamato begins to provoke them, and these translations, I should note, come from the iHeartDG web archive. Yamato began to provoke the units, but he was interrupted by the Millennials theme music. Eita. That's it, Case. That's what I was referring to. <laughs> there, there we go. Eita and T-Hawk reintroduced themselves. T-Hawk said he was no longer Tomahawk or Mr. PP or Tomakamai. He was a new man. They introduced the debuting UT. Monde Rio had no idea what the whole millennials thing was. He just recognized the kid that ran away from his debut match with the International Problem Dragon. He charged, but UT took him down with an arm lock. T-Hawk pulled him off before warning everyone that the millennials were all well-schooled in the strong Lucha Libre style. And Mike, that leads us to August 30th, the Millennials landing in Japan. This stuff is uploaded on the Gate Network under the You Were Young Then section. This is technically UT's debut. August 30th, T-Hawk, Eita, and UT defeat Masato Yoshino, Ryotsu Shimizu, and Shihiro Tamanaga in a minute and 30 seconds before having a rematch that they win in just over 10 minutes. This is huge stuff. This changes the game in Japan.
1: Well, especially because Millennials was the first generational unit since the generational war that happened in 2009. So the big thing about Millennials were, if, and it was even a part of their logo, if you were younger than 1990, if you're born after 1990, they will be friendly to you. However... If you are older, if you're born in 1989 or before that, you are considered their enemy. And it kind of made them as like a tweener faction that would verge on heel towards most of the veterans. And then with like the rookies and all that, it was just, they just kind of were like the same, but they really could kind of just were like this tweener unit out of the gates. Felt like a really hot act initially, a really big kind of way that they were pushed as we talk about the fall of 2013. And then what... We won't get into this, but the way that things ended up for the Millennials was not as strong as it started.
2: No, actually something that if you're if you're listening to this, you're going to want to catch our Cork and Hall review, uh, the weekly update that we're doing, because I have a topic on the Millennials that I'm going to approach Mike with. I have a, a question that pertains to some of them. Also... On the August 30th show, there was a singles match booked between Mad Blanky's UHA Nation and Akira Tozawa, but UHA Nation said Akira Tozawa was one of, one of his best friends and he refused to fight him, so Mad Blanky turned on UHA Nation, leading to an eight-man tag with Yamato, Hulk, Ryu, and KZ defeating Tozawa, UHA, Shingo Takagi, and Cyber Kong. In your main event, tucked away on a Kobe Sambo Hall show, Kness and Dragon Kid defeat Naruki Doi and Ricochet to win the Open the Twin Gate Belts. How good does that sound, Mike?
1: I mean, you know how I feel about DieFly. <laughs> DieFly is like, other than Wa, this is like one of my sleeper favorite teams in Dragon System history, and I don't really remember this match. No, like, I, don't, I, I don't remember it at
2: all. I was shocked when I saw that and the results, because I really have no memory of it.
1: Yeah, 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 but... Sadly, Die Fly would never really have a long run of championship belts anywhere.
2: No, they would not. Yamada was put to the test in the beginning of September, though he was going to make his first defense of the Open the tw- uh, the, tw- the Dream Gate rather the Open the Dreamgate title on September twelfth, twenty thirteen. This was the kickoff of the Summer Adventure Tag League, as well. And this show featured Uha Nation defeating Ryotsu Shimizu, Ricochet defeating Yosuke Watanabe. In the Summer Adventure Tag League, uh, Gamma and Kness defeated Konda and Susumu, and then your semi-main event, Block A Summer Adventure Tag League 2013, Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi, while well, they wrestle Masao Yoshino and Naruki Doi. And like, what happens
1: in this match? Oh, it's a no contest, if I'm right. Mad Blanky runs in partway through.
2: It is a no contest, as not only does Mad Blanky run in, but Naruki Doi. Turns on his partner, Masao Yoshino. This was the turn, Matt? This was I thought the, the turn, turn. happened later. No. Well, it made
1: sense. It made sense, yeah.
2: This is the turn. Yoshino takes a Bakatari sliding kick with a chair to the face, and Doi leaves World One International and joins Mad Blanky, and joins Yamato in the main event as he defends the belt against Rio Saito, and what is... An incredible, incredible big match Saito performance. He is a
1: performer mm-hmm. that annoys me to no end. But when he turns it on like this, he is an incredible wrestler. And I think that's why I thought that turn was happening later, Case. Because I remember this match from the Gorkin. I remember this Yamato defense, his first defense. And you're absolutely right. Like, serious Saito coming out there against the Almighty at, like, peak. Just pretentious as hell, Yamato. It, it, it rocks. It's one of, like, I think it's one of Yamato's better... Dreamgate champ uh, championship matches of this heel almighty run.
2: I completely agree. This is a very special Corcoran Hall show. It just feels hot. It feels fresh. And I think that's really interesting compared to the Drengate USA shows that we've been watching where you have all this new talent in Japan. You know, Teahawk and Eita, I think to some extent, got over in America. I think the audiences, even if they didn't know who they were coming in, they really appreciated them by the time they left. But they come to Japan, and you don't have to look any further than September twenty eighth at Kobe Samba Hall, the finals of the Summer Adventure Tag League. Which at, at that point, I believe it was Kness that got injured, so they vacated the Twin Gate belts. And T Hawk yeah. and Aita, a month into their Japan landing, they beat BB Hulk and Yamato to win the tag league and to win the Twin Gate belts.
1: Yep, and the success of millennials will just keep on going.
2: Indeed, it does. And now, well, let's 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 pause there for one second. August and September 2013, an absurd time in Drangate. I mean, if we were ever going to pick up and do some timeline shows like Jay used to do on the iHeartDG site, it really seems like there would need to be an extended focus on this time period. And we've talked, you know, Gate has these hot periods. They had a, a handful in 2020 where we'd be like, my God, like this is, all of these shows are exciting. The matches are good. And then... I think that stuff was so crazy and so new that it overshadowed October and November a little bit. But these months are equally as crazy as you see on the 10-10-2013 Cork and Hall Show, where the stuff that really matters here is a six-man tag with Don Fuji, Masaki Mochizuki, and Super Shisa defeating Ata, t and U.T., in a violent fucking display of aggression. (laughs) It's the only way I can describe it. (laughs) UT is put into the most sickening Boston crab in this match. His feet basically go back to touch his head. It's disgusting. And then the show ends with not only a five-on-three handicap match, where Tozawa, Shingo, and Uha beat Hulk, Kong, KZ, Mandai Ryu, and Naruki Doi. But then the main event... More craziness in the middle of Cork Hall. Yamato, two months after defeating Shingo Takagi, loses his belt to Masato Yoshino. Monster Express wins the Open the Dream Gate title by way of Masato Yoshino.
1: Yeah, and just uh, to interject here real quickly, this was like the whole th- lead up. I think Monster Express formed after Yoshino won the title, if I, I'm right.
2: I, they... They technically were named four days before on the Hakata Star lane, show. I skipped over that, that on my notes sense. by accident. But yeah, so right well, this was their Tokyo debut,
1: right? Yeah, so I mean, they're coming in real strong, they're positioned as the super babyface unit. You have Tozawa and Shingo Takagi that have been longtime friends and compatriots. You have Uha Nation, who is Tozawa's best friend, you have Masato Yoshino, who is friendly with everyone else, but he's joining up because he was portrayed and wanted to go against Naruki-doi. He brings along his best friend, Sachi Hoko Boy, and then, of course, Ricochet. And this is, like, the period of Ricochet I remember the most because I remember, like, the gear very, the, like, the gear that he wore on this Free and Fight show as, like, that's the Ricochet I remember is, like, the black and red short, or black and orange shorts Ricochet.
2: I had it in my notes like, oh, that's the gear that I like from Ricochet. I mean, this is yeah, this is right around the time that again, like not only my falling Dragon at USA, but Monster Express finding out that Tozawa, Shingo and Ricochet were teaming together in Japan. I was like, well, shit, I got to check that out. You know, that sounds like something I would really like it. And, and sure enough, here I am. Eight years later, seven and a half years later, talking about it now because it it was stuff that that really resonated with me at the time. And plus, towards the end of October, on October 26th to be exact, Kobe Samba Hall, you have an influx of foreign talent on this show with T-Hawk. In the second match on this show, T-Hawk teams with Flamita and Rocky Lobo to wrestle Shima Gamma and Yosuke Watanabe, and then later on in the show... Akira Tozawa teams with Anthony Nice and they defeat Genki Horiguchi and Jimmy Sasumo.
1: And through this tour, Anthony Nice ended up in the Dragon Gate program, I believe, until 2015. I have to go through my programs and check, but he was like listed as a member of the Dragon Gate roster much longer. He was an official Monster Express member, which is wild to think about also considering the Premier Athlete brand. And yeah, your main man Rocky Lobo makes his debut.
2: Look, this uh it, it's amazing. You go back and read some of the writing at this time, and it's like, well, like who's Dragon Gate gonna use? Is it gonna be Flamita or Rocky Lobo? They probably can't afford the two plane tickets from Mexico and Rocky Lobo, I think does two tours. I think he's over at the beginning of twenty fourteen, and Flamita becomes one of the most decorated foreigners they ever had, and I miss him and I'm happy he's getting a steady paycheck and Ring of Honor, but I really wish he was back in Dragon Gate.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing about Flamita at this time. 19 years old. Absurd. He's 19.
2: I I mean, I I went back recently and watched some early Flamita. I was watching like 2014 stuff. And, I mean, not only does he have no muscle on him, especially compared to now where he just sucks protein shakes down just all day and night. I mean, that's the only thing he does if you're friends with him on Facebook like I am. Dude loves the gym, loves his protein shakes. But just, uh, uh, I don't want to call him a revolutionary flyer, but... There's nothing like watching a twenty year old Flamita go through the air. It's he was incredible and it makes sense that he became what
1: he became. Oh, absolutely. And you, you see how he kind of exploded. He was someone that initially when he came to Dragon Gate, he was an exciting wrestler, and then he very quickly probably became one of the fifty best wrestlers in the world in that time period, solely through his Dragon and Things. And like the flam fly and all the stuff he was able to pull off, it just was just like takes your breath away.
2: So the Millennials make their big show debut on November 3rd, 2013, Gate of Destiny from the Osaka Bodymaker Coliseum. Uh, this show, Dave watched, he has a review of it and one of the observers around this time period. The big stuff to look at here, the eight-man tag match with Shiba, who was Kotoka doing the Shima gimmick, essentially, That that is... I would say not consequential to drink it USA so I skipped over it At for all. now. <laughs> um, but Shiba Subasa, Shima and Masaki Mochizuki teamed up. They defeated the Millennials of Flamita Rocky Lobo UT in the debuting Yosuke Santa Maria. This is where the Exotico gimmick comes from. And then also on the show four big title matches with Genki Horaguchi retaining the Brave Gate belt over Anthony Nice. Ada and T-Hawk beating Dragon Kid and Kness to become the official Twin Twin Gate champions after being the interim Twin Gate champions from the Summer Adventure Tag League. And then your final two matches, Hulk, Cyberkong, and Yamato of Mad Blanky defeat Tozawa, Shingo, and Uha of Monster Express. And Masato Yoshino retains the Dream Gate belt over Naruki Doi in a match that I remember not being crazy about, but Dave gave it four and a half stars.
1: Yeah, it's weird about uh, Yoshino and Doi singles matches, right? Like... I, I think I'm with you. I kind of come away from a lot of them a little bit underwhelmed. And I feel like this is fine when I watched it. I mean, I was much more into the Triangle Gate match. Triangle Gate match rocked.
2: I, I would say it's one of the weirdly underrated Triangle Gate matches because it's not even yeah. one that sticks out of my mind. But I, I had the show on recently and I don't I don't know why. Maybe I was trying to watch the nice stuff. But I kept it on for that Triangle Gate match, and was just like, "Holy shit!" Like I, I don't remember this match at all. This match is absurdly good.
1: Well, if you look at the match, you have Hulk and Yamato, who are right now. This is pre-Tower Run Hulk, so he's still with it. Yamato is kicking on all cylinders as the Almighty. If you want to talk, like I can't understate how much going from Battleship to Almighty, pretty much just reset his trajectory in a way like and they knew that because they immediately strapped him up and they took the belt away from shingo who just ended shima's the longest ring in reign and dragon gate history for the dream gate so you have like that cyber kong is best in these matches and then you have tozawa and shingo who have like just insane chemistry and uha and it's just was like just a blast of it and it's like only and they go 25 minutes like that or 24 minutes and five seconds it's an insane match it's worth going out of your way for
2: we will close our Japan talk with the November 7th 2013 Quark, and this show was notable because it featured the return of the key hunting four-way match. This was a staple <laughs> in kind of late era Toryumon into early era Dragon Gate, but they hadn't done one in probably 8 years. I mean, I don't I don't think they did any after 2005, and I'm not even sure they did any in 2005. It might have just been the end of 2004, but it's a four way match where T Hawk defeated Akira Tozawa, BB Hulk, and Jimmy Susumu, and with that, he got a Dreamgate match later on in the show. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. The semi main event, though, the six on five handicap match with BB Hulk, Cyberkong, KZ, Mondai Ryu, Narukidoi, and Yamato defeating the Monster Express team. Of Akira Tozawa, Shingo Takagi, Sachihoko Boy, Anthony Nice, and Mike Seidel.
1: I forgot Mike Seidel was, was over at this time.
2: He comes over in like September, and actually Uh, When Masato Yoshino retires this summer, you'll be able to read some of Mike Seidel's thoughts about his first tour in Japan and teaming with Masato Yoshino in an article I'm working on for VoicesOfWrestling.com. But he comes over in, like, September and is primarily just in the dojo and working dark matches. I think he only works shows that air—it's the Kobe Sambo Hall Show— I think where Nice debuts, I think he's in a dark match there, and then this mm-hmm. show, but most of his stuff is either dojo work or non-televised appearances. He makes his Corkin Hall debut here and then the main event and an epic match between two guys that always had epic singles matches. Masada Yoshino retains the Dream Gate belt over T-Hawk.
1: Yeah, great cork. And, uh Just so that I, I realize that we're trying to keep this short, the, the key hunting matches basically are one of the turnbuckle pads has the key underneath it, you are only able to pull three. If you pull, if you don't get a key in your three attempts of pulling a turnbuckle pad, you are eliminated from the match. So it has stakes in that way. And for people who are wondering why Matt Blankey had so many handicap matches, it was because everyone always made comments about how shit Mondai Ryu was, so he didn't count as a real wrestler.
2: Which is a good policy that I I kind of think they should <laughs> continue to enact. So final closing thoughts on Japan from August through November. Mike, this is one of the craziest periods the company ever had, correct?
1: Oh, uh, oh, absolutely. We managed to talk about it in 20 minutes. I'm actually kind of impressed with us here.
2: Well, cuz this is, I mean, I, I you know, I don't know what we're doing after this project entirely, but I mean, god, we I mean, uh, August of 2013 alone is like a multi-part podcast series. It's unbelievable everything that happens in that month and, and I knew it was either rushed through it. Or this will become its own episode, and I don't have the time
1: to do that
0: right now. <laughs> we, 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 we,
1: we, for everyone's sake, I I don't think we have a time limit on Red Circle, but we don't need to be uh, like that. As much as I would love to talk about 2013, especially like the Akatsuki versus Mad Blanky two count mask or hair loser must span match, is just we'll be here all night.
2: Well, well, let me say this: I don't know what Mike's talking about in terms of this match being found, as far as I know, that Mad Blanky versus Akatsuki Unit Disbands match, I have watched it once in my entire life, and it was not when it aired, it was a little bit after, because I think I started really following during the Yabato versus Shingo Dreamgate match, so I, I would have not seen that cork, and I've seen this match one time, it's the most elusive match in Dragon System footage, I know we have listeners that have perhaps some hard drives, Setting around some files on those hard drives. If you have that match, uh, shoot us a DM please. Cause I would love
1: to rewatch that. It, it's a nuts match. I think I might have it case. I think, yeah, but yeah. Cause we talked about it on the old show. Cause I was the one who found the match. I was like, Hey guys, here's the Akatsuki versus, uh, Matt Blanky disbands match.
2: Well, I will be in touch with you then after the show by experience because I have not seen this (laughs) match. I'll see which computer I have it on,
1: but I know I've had this match at one time.
2: I have not seen that match in a very long time, and it's one of my favorite matches that Drangate ever did. Speaking of favorites, speaking of high points, the one other thing I want to talk about before we get to Gate USA is August 30th and August 31st of 2013 is PWG Battle of Los Angeles and... I really wanted to spend a minute talking about these shows. One, the influx of Drink at USA talent around this time period that I think is very interesting to look at on this show. And two, I've got some opinions on the second night of this tournament. But real quick, the night one results were Anthony Nice losing to ACH, so ACH advances. Brian Cage defeating Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, Mike, you'll enjoy this match uh, for comedy reasons. Drake Younger defeats Joey Ryan.
0: That was a first
2: round match of the 2013 Battle of Los Angeles. And then things get better from there as it's Johnny Gargano defeating Willie Mack, Kevin Steen defeating Chuck Taylor, Kyle O'Reilly defeating Trent, Michael Elgin defeating Rich Swan, and Roderick Strong defeating AR Fox. That takes us to night two of the tournament, August 31st, 2013. Mike, I think this is the single greatest independent wrestling show I have ever seen. Do you have any memory of this, Bola?
1: well yeah Kyle Kyle O'Reilly wins it and he goes through a war to get there because he has a long match of ACH and he has Drake Younger who they kind of do Drake's rules when he was around there and then he had to go up against Mike Elgin who was getting incredibly heavily pushed in PWG at this time
2: a fascinating list of wrestlers that O'Reilly had to beat if you know anything about Just their backstage life?
1: ACH, Drake, and Michael Elgin is a real murderer's row of personality, is it not? I mean, it's various people that I think at one time Chuck Taylor has been very mad at, yes. (laughs)
2: So this is Bola Night 2. It opens with Drake Younger defeating Brian Cage in an absurdly dangerous seven-minute head drop fest. And then from there we go to Johnny Gargano defeating Kevin Steen, Michael Elgin defeating Roderick Strong, and really the match that everyone came away talking about, Kyle O'Reilly defeating ACH. Also on this show, the semifinals of Elgin defeating Gargano and O'Reilly defeating Drake. The semi-main event is Adam Cole and the Young Bucks against A.R. Fox, Rich Swan, and Candice LeRae in a match that finished in my top 10 matches of 2013. This is, I I think it's one of the best matches the Young Bucks have ever had, and you know that is saying a lot coming from me. This match is just, hidden gem is not even the right word. It's, no one talks about this match, and I think it's one of the best matches they ever had. And then the night concludes with O'Reilly winning Bola, defeating Michael Elgin. And then after the show, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole run in. They beat down Kyle O'Reilly. Candice LeRae tries to make the save. They beat down Candice LeRae. Unfortunately, Joey Ryan comes out. They beat up Joey Ryan because they're on the right side of history. And then Kevin Steen comes from the announcer's table. And instead of making the save, he package pile drives Candice LeRae. And the Mount Rushmore of wrestling is born. One of my favorite angles in the history of professional wrestling.
1: It was so good because right after that, they immediately got a box of t-shirts out and started <laughs> yeah. selling them.
2: Uh, which, I look, I don't think I've bought a wrestling shirt in five years at this point. I don't. I certainly don't wear many of the ones that I own. At one point, I still wear my original Mount Rushmore PWG t-shirt all the time. I love that shirt.
1: And they cut a great backstage promo like when PWG would do promos and they do like this where Kevin Steen keeps on cursing and then apologizes because he knows that the Bucks are, young, are good Christian boys. Then he calls himself the champion of the universe, which is very apropos given his next seven years. And then it's just like one of those things that when PWG decided to have an angle and they committed to an angle, it usually was a really solid one in P- PWG and Matt Rushmore is like the best example of it.
2: Go to your High Spots Network, fire this show up, watch it from start to finish. I I mean, I haven't seen it in a few years at this point. I'm assuming it all holds up. I really hope it does because, my God, do I love this show. And to me, this has always been my point when people talk about the PWG boom. This is the first show William Regal attended. There's photos of him backstage Mm -hmm. with O'Reilly and ACH after their match. To me, this was the peak of PWG. I mean, they have a great show in October that, that we don't really have time to talk about, but it's all diminishing returns from this. And we're a year away from the return of the three-night BOLA and AJ Styles and Kenny Omega and Liger later on down the line. We're, you know, a year plus away from all of that. And to me, BOLA 2013 was like the end of an era for PWG in terms of after this, it really became the Cool Kids Club. And that was great and that was awesome. And we got a bunch of good matches out of it. But Bola 2013 for me will always be the peak of that promotion.
1: And I would say that that era began with Tazawa's tour, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, you had about this three-year period of that, because I was looking at the rest of this card case as we are talking about it. You kind of had the formation of best friends in that trio's match with the despicable Joey Ryan. And it is just one of those things that, like, you look at this, a lot of things come out of this. Like, I actually recorded a rant for the EE Patreon yesterday about my thesis on independent wrestling and why pwg was and how it won't be and all of that and you like look at this and you look like at at the names on these things and in a lot of ways the names get stronger after this but you also have like the idea of like this is where recita kind of becomes that place in america is from the
0: show
2: yeah i i miss this era of pwg and again that's probably me gatekeeping a little bit but it's just it's just not the same after this, and that's okay because, I mean, even the next show, which, yeah, I can I can throw the results in here real quick. Matt Rushmore on October 19th, 2013, where you had Kevin Steen defeating ACH in, a, in an awesome match. The true birth of the best friends, Chuck and Trent, defeat A.R. Fox and Rich Swan. A four-way match with Drake, Neese, nice, uh, Cage, and Ciampa. That match was wild. Gargano defeats Roderick Strong. The Bucks defeat Candice LeRae and, jo- Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan. And Adam Cole defeats... Kyle O'Reilly to retain the PWG title. It's just, it's unbelievable. And, and we'll reference PWG in another minute here as they directly uh, influence the booking of this at USA show. Uh, but before that, I think we have to get to some Newswire notes, if that's okay with you.
1: Yep, let's get to it.
2: So November 7th, Gabe Sapolsky announces what was the original card. For Freedom Fight 2013. I did this to you last week, Mike, when Genki Horiguchi was pulled off the show. Gabe had to change the show. This time, we not only lose Horiguchi, but we will gain Chris Hero. But had that not happened, Freedom Fight 2013 would have been Johnny Gargano versus Masaki Mochizuki, Ricochet versus Anthony Nice, Trent Beretta versus Rich Swan, Genki Horiguchi and Jimmy Susumu against the Bravado Brothers. An evolved title match between A.R. Fox, Chuck Taylor, John Davis, and Caleb Conley in a non-title match at the time, non-title, the Young Bucks against Jigsaw and Fire Ant.
1: Interesting show.
2: To say the least.
1: I think that the top ends. uh, I, I won't get too much in my thoughts on what the card we got. You know, there's some stuff there that I find very interesting, but... I don't know. Having Ginky there changes a lot of things, and not having Hero... Like the, it was so much easier last week that you'd want to want, watch the show from the, uh, the the proposed show, but from this one, I'm a little bit conflicted. Like, well, what, how, how's your opinion on what was the original plan and what it came to be? Like, which one would you want to watch? Just not not having watched the show, just you get the two cards put side by side. Which one are you taking?
2: I want the original card. I want Gargana versus Mochizuki in this building because I think you know Gabe's whole selling point yeah. of the Lyceum was well, when the crowd is up, it's kind of like a fight club thing, which, yes and no. I mean, it certainly had its detractions that maybe prevented it from being like a fight club thing. (laughs) But Gargano versus Mochizuki probably could have achieved the atmosphere that he was looking for. We got Ricochet versus Nice. We got Trent versus Swan. Horiguchi and Susumu versus the Bravados sounds like a fascinating match one way or another. Uh, That Evolve championship match, I mean, that's four top guys to some extent i mean that's a very interesting match and i think bucks versus jigsaw and fire ant would have been really really interesting
1: yeah yeah because especially i assume what happened after the three-way tag would have happened there with uh, fire ant and jigsaw so you'd have had an angle coming out of that way yeah i think you've convinced me i think you've convinced me
2: well things change as on november 9th 2013 at 109 Central Standard Time in the morning, the official PWG Twitter account tweets out, Chris Hero makes his return at All-Star Weekend 10. And we'll talk about these All-Star Weekend 10 shows next week or the week after, because I, I actually think they're very important to what would become of Gate USA. But I remember waking up, I had, at this point, I'm such a PWG obsessive, and because they don't ever tweet unless they're announcing match lineups, I had the alerts on my phone And I woke up to this notification, and I was baffled. I did not know what was going on. But on November 9th, PWG announces Hero. On November 11th, Gabe confirms that Hero will wrestle on the Brooklyn iPay-Per-View. And then on November 12th, he announces that Gargano versus Hero has been signed. And that makes uh, the whole card shift. So now AR Fox will end his feud with the Young Bucks as he teams with Masaki Mochizuki, on this show as well. And then Gabe says, Caleb Conley and Andrew Everett will enter the tag scene as they take on Jigsaw and Fire Ant. And I believe this is the final time that Caleb Conley and Andrew Everett team. So uh, a nice run of two matches that I thought were both very good (laughs) and then they never team again. And that is just such 2013-2014 Gate USA.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's just something that, and it's kind of something that it's gonna be so weird in 20 later 2011 2022 when the indies might possibly restart like the idea of hero coming back was such like a earth-shaking thing that like getting the notification saying uh Peter at all-star weekend 10 chris hero makes his return would have been like the most like brain scratching thing especially if you weren't someone that like at this time, were you an Observer person, or were you keeping up of this I, whatsoever?
2: I, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that, because I was going to make that point. I was definitely reading news with a Z sites. I don't think I subscribed to the Observer until probably early 2014. So, I, I mean, I was an NXT watcher, because NXT was on Hulu at this point. I was watching NXT from the moment it transitioned away from FCW. So... You know, my introductions to Pac and Hero were through the NXT program, and then I quickly realized, like, oh, these guys are incredible and they've done stuff all around the world that I would like to watch. But I was stunned because uh, by this point, it's late 2013, I am 14 years old, CM Punk is my idol. I'm a super smarmy, smarky fan on the internet, going like, they got to push Cassius Ono. I mean, come on, where's his push? <laughs> And then for him to just disappear into the ether of NXT and be a free agent like that, it was a huge deal. I mean, this really registered with me as like, oh my god, like, Hero's gonna come back to the indies. And he opened up a pro wrestling tea store. I bought, I think, two of his t-shirts that I used to wear to school all the time. Obviously, people loved that. Um, And then I remember... At this point, I'm going to Ring of Honor shows, and, and I saw Hero versus Adam Cole at a Ring of Honor show. I was 15 years old. My mom drove me, and she still, to this day, asked me how Chris Hero's doing because he made such a good impression on her that night.
1: I mean, that's pretty much the Chris Hero story, though. <laughs> oh, my God. If, I mean, Chris
2: Hero, you spend 10 minutes talking to him at the merch table. You will think you guys are friends for life. He is one of the nicest humans I've ever met.
1: Or one of the best merch workers. You (laughs) know? It's it's the best. I don't know him personally, so (laughs) I'm not going to make any determinations on who he is, but when I've talked to him, very nice person. Yeah. um, But that was awesome. Merch table culture is bad, except for when Chris Hero does it. And,
2: like, I, I, at the time, Sinclair was selling these Ring of Honor compilation DVDs, and that was my thing. I mean, that's how I watched old, like, Gabe era Ring of Honor.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, the year two, year three DVDs. Exactly. So, yeah.
2: I, I had. The Jimmy Jacobs comp, which I remember, I had Jimmy Jacobs sign at my first Ring of Honor show, and he was super nice. And he was he was super nice to my mom. I've always said that about Jimmy Jacobs; like he went out of his way to just be a really kind person. To me again, merch table culture is bad, but it's good when it happens to me. Um, I had a CM Punk comp DVD that I went to a Wizard World in Chicago to have CM Punk sign where he not only complimented the DVD, this is real case-low lore, Mike Spears. I don't know if you know the story. I'm ready for it. i went I'm to, ready for this. I was 14 years old. My mom drove me to Wizard World in Chicago specifically to stand in line to meet CM Punk. He did a Q&A beforehand that I went to. I asked him a question at the Q&A. I, just put yourself into my mind for a second. I am... All in on indie wrestling. I love CM Punk. What do you think I asked this man in front of a live audience at a Q&A?
1: I'm guessing you asked him about Tray Edge music.
2: <laughs> a fair guess, but no. I went up to the microphone and I asked CM, Paul, CM Punk, do you have a favorite Gabe Sapolsky memory?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That, 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 that's actually the right question to ask anyone who's worked with Gabe Sapolsky, to be honest. And
2: Punk said... His favorite uh, game memory is they were working an FIP show where somebody oh, I know. Sc- somebody screwed up the music cue, and all of a sudden, Gabe starts slinging cigarette ashtrays into the wall yes. and going, it's a fucking DVD product, <laughs> god damn it! <laughs> and then, later that day, he was doing the autograph signing, I bought my ticket so he could sign the cover of my Summer of Punk ROH compilation DVD. I went up to him, he complimented the DVD, and he complimented my t-shirt, and it wasn't a straight-edge t-shirt, it wasn't a CM Punk t-shirt, it was a Mr. 1859 Cliff Compton t-shirt that CM Punk liked. And not only this, Mike, not only this, not only did CM Punk like my t-shirt, but I go on Twitter that afternoon, and there is a picture on Cliff Compton's Twitter of him, like, 50 yards back, taking a picture of me waiting in the CM Punk line with a Cliff Compton t-shirt on? <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's great to see a fan in Chicago. And uh, that is a story that I've never expressed publicly before because why would I tell people that at one point I owned a Cliff Compton t-shirt? I mean,
1: yeah, but you, you, you got featured on cliff compton's twitter account at that age so i mean you take the good with the bad there
2: yeah now it's like he's just like i think he's a gun guy now it's really uh dark hours for mr 1859 but i think you asked me if i was aware of who chris hero was and i just told you a very personal life story of mine we could get into the observer notes basically he was cut uh partially because they didn't think he could get into shape and partially as we saw in his second nxt run they just didn't look at him as a guy, and I don't. Un- I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. And in a way, I think wrestling's better off now that he's out of that system. But it sucks because I think he's one of the most talented wrestlers ever.
1: Yeah, and it was one of those things that his first run, he was around and he was featured. But it was one of those things that whenever you saw like a hero match or an Oo match. You kind of have been like, Oh yeah, that they actually decided to pull him out of the mothballs. They they actually Because I remember like his last match was against uh Luke Harper, Brody Lee and NXT. I remember like that happening. And also there was a one night uh of the Kings of Wrestling reuniting against CM Punk, and I think it was Seth Rollins yes. that made a DVD much later, but it just was something that like you would think that someone like Chris Hero, and I think this is now something you can say throughout wrestling now that he's out of the system again you would find a place for someone like chris hero in your locker room in your office somewhere but wwe never showed that interest
2: yeah or in their multi-million dollar training facility where you have a guy that has trained every style under the sun maybe you would want him influencing the next generation of talent just a thought
1: yeah just a thought uh by the way i did just go to cliff compton's instagram account he has a picture of Brody lee and it is Brody Lee wearing the really cool Blood Warriors t-shirt with uh, Brody Jr. <laughs> negative one.
2: That's solid, yeah. Uh, his Twitter banner is Evil Knievel, K- Knievel Jumping at Caesar's Palace, which is objectively cool. Uh, maybe I might get back into Cliff Compton, because that dude, you know, he's a, Rich, a Rip Rogers descendant, which is obviously a bummer, but very entertaining podcast guest. Just, at times, hit my sense of humor to a T. tee. Unlike this Freedom Fight show, which was not funny, nor was it particularly good at times. And Mike, with that, I am ready to get into Freedom Fight 2013.
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
1: Yeah, let's get into this. So, as I said at the top, Freedom Fight 2013 happened on November 17th from the cursed Brooklyn Lyceum. And we open up with John Davis versus Stephen Walters. John Davis won in 10 minutes and 23 seconds with a lariat. And case, take a guess what my first note for this match was. Bad? Oh, I wrote down, God, this venue sucks.
2: I I have down my first note. is uh, It's honestly so dark, it's distracting.
1: Yeah, so we get our second and last dose of FTR here, hair here. And I have a note here that... I kind of like sums up here. He worked for 2013-2014 Dragon Gate USA and evolve. But this guy would have never sniffed the ring with how he wrestles in 2009 Dragon Gate USA, right? No, no,
2: he I mean he would have fit in with the grapple fuck evolve style that's about 8 months down the line right after the the conclusion of Dragon Gate USA. But he I mean he doesn't make a fray match on one of the first few Dragon Gate USA shows. There's no way
1: right yeah and i guess in this match my big takeaway and uh, this is like one of the big overall questions we've had in the series case is what is the goal of john davis
2: well mike i'll let you know right now this is the final john davis match in dragon at usa history
1: wow okay he that's gonna be a farewell to talk about well yeah i, I want to i i want
2: to save the john davis talk of course on air
1: production meeting here I,
2: let's let's talk about john davis once we're done with the series because i really Wrap think up episode it, his his whole run i don't want to cram it into this episode i really think that's something to spend some time with as mm-hmm. for the match i i mean what what's the point of it you know it's not a complete squash match because Walters gets in some offense. It's not really enough to make Walters look like a threat, but it is enough to make John Davis look vulnerable so it does nobody any favors. I just, I just hated this match. I went two and a quarter on it just because I wanted it off my TV.
1: You know, uh, I like the first uh, Stephen Walters fire up a house of fire that he did that ended with the, uh, he did a really good line salt. Like, I don't know how he became such a bad flyer. I guess it's WWE getting older and all that. But, like, you had one good House of Fire spot. But, like, fall all John Davis matches at this era, goes on way too long. I was two and a half just because I liked that House of Fire. But it just was long and, as you said, just did not serve anyone's purpose here. Like, this is a match that, objectively, like, the last time we see both these guys, doesn't need to be on the show. This show, which is three hours and 45 minutes. We did not say that yet. This show... I believe will be the longest show in DGUSA history.
2: If not the longest, it's certainly in the top five. And it's just, yeah, it's pointless. It is a pointless match. And it's frustrating to think that, again, you want to talk about this premium product. This is not the type of match that makes even a 2011 drink at USA show. You know, forget the glory period of those first four or five shows. This doesn't make the show in 2011. And it's just a match to have a match.
1: And speaking about that, the next match. Mark Angelosetti, Mr. Touchdown, defeats Jervis Cottonbelly in t- three minutes and 41 seconds with a Spine Buster. Again, premium content. Why is this happening?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you could say, why is this happening about any Jervis Cottonbelly match? Luckily, we do get Mr. Touchdown who kills him, and it's a it's a good Rules. squash match. Yeah, no, that, touchdown, God, I, I, I wish he was coming along now because I think he would have crushed it in the dark environment. And I think that gimmick could have been refined to work as a, a, an undercard act on Dynamite, because he was such a talented wrestler. And this was at least a proper squash where a touchdown comes away from it looking like a beast. So, uh, you know, a little average two and a half star match.
1: Right, yeah. And you, like, look at it, and we talked about this last week, this gimmick is a gimmick that, unlike a lot of things where you'd want to move away from it soon, I mean american football there's longevity there that you could constantly be making references refining the act like there was a lot of comments here about tim tebow that worked in 2013 you could be talking about patrick mahomes or touchdown tom now so i mean like there's a lot of ways you could have gone to this act we miss you mr touchdown and if you came back to wrestling i'd be very excited
2: yeah it'd be i i would welcome it because i really really think he's a talented wrestler and i i would would have liked to have seen another version of his career
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So before this next match, talking about how long the show is, and Kay's mentioned earlier about how they just did the they just took the pay per view dump and just put another uh, portion of the website. So they left in the interstitials, which you had poor Le- uh, poor Lenny, poor Lenny. <laughs> he was chilling and there was tech issues. And how long is this delay? And he someone like was like going to ring the bell for him, and you could hear him off mic say. Hey, the bell somewhere over on their side. Not... Lenny Leonard's a saint. L- l- like, you will not hear a cross word about Lenny Leonard come out of my mouth. But, boy, I feel for him in this show. Uh, I feel for him in this promotion.
2: It's just inexcusable production. I would be embarrassed to promote this to anybody. And at this point... You know, again, like I said last week, there's times where you can tell that Gabe is really invested in his product and there are times where you can tell that he's not and this is a point where gabe feels really checked out
1: i mean this is a show where he's checked out and then not checked out at certain points (laughs) you could tell it's kind of wild
2: yeah but i i hate i hated the start to this show two unimportant squash matches followed by a really long production delay
1: and then we had Chuck Taylor versus Jimmy Susumu. Jimmy Susumu got the win at the Mugen in 10 minutes and 46 seconds. And I wonder what your thoughts are on this match, Kay. So you go first. I mean, it was kind of cool to see Susumu
2: doing outright comedy stuff. Like he plays along with the grenade spot where they do the atomic drop. There's kind of two things to note here. One, I really, in a weird way, think it's a showcase of Susumu's talents because... Even this dumb, goofy comedy match, he is in complete control of the crowd. I mean, they're into this by the end of it, and it's all just because Susumu is a master of what he does. But what stood out to me is if this match happens, even Miami 2012 WrestleMania weekend or any time before that an outright comedy match like this would feel wildly out of place, but this is where you start to see the tone in indie wrestling change. And it's less about your Davy Richards and your Eddie Edwards. And, you know, Gabe is able to kind of seclude himself to, uh, from it to an extent with the grapple fuck stuff that's coming down the line. But this is where, you know, beyond is doing comedy and guys are looking for an outlet outside of Chikara. And this match almost feels
1: inappropriate on a dragon Gate USA show. It's very WrestleCon.
2: Very it WrestleCon.
1: Is. And, like, there, there was a whole bit about Chuck Taylor wearing a hoodie to the ring, one, because his building looked like it was freezing, and two, because he wanted to protect himself from the lariats, which was kind of funny, and then they had a whole battle about that, and it's it turned into, like, a really... Like, the last five minutes of the match when they dropped all the comedy pretenses was just solid DGUSA stuff. It just was you had the five minutes of comedy, which, as you said, this is kind of very much the start. I mean... The Syrian portal kind of started meme wrestling, if you think about it, with the most illegal thing you could do in a wrestling match. But I wanted to like this a lot more than I did, but I think the comedy stuff just brought it down. It was a very apathetic three and a quarter for me.
2: Who on this roster would have been better suited to wrestle Susumu rather than Chuck Taylor? Because at this point, it's November of 2013. Chuck Taylor's not getting sent over to Japan anytime soon. He doesn't want to be there. The Gate talent doesn't want him there. Is there someone on this show that you think would have really benefited from wrestling Susumu instead of Chuck
1: Taylor? Mr. Touchdown.
2: Yeah, I think Touchdown or John Davis, because they never, I don't think they ever had any interactions, but those are the, I mean, they're, they're in a useless match, and they, I, you know, you can always stick Chuck Taylor in there against Jervis or Steven Walters, but it seems like this was the least interesting option to do.
1: Yeah, and Tony Nese he had the match against Susumi the night before. As we've seen in current day, there's few things. There are few wrestlers in the world that are better at elevating young talent than Susumi Yokosuka. Put him in there with someone that's on on the rise, and you could have like a great match out of it. Like imagine Mr. Touchdown versus uh, Susumi Yokosuka. I think that could be a sneaky four star match.
2: All well, the other two you've got here because they're kind of buried in this tag match, but Andrew Everett, where. You know, Everett's an incredibly flawed wrestler who I don't think ever lived up to his potential. Sorry to weirdly bury Andrew Everett there, but... You're an, fair, though. That's fair. An Everett versus Susumu match at this time would have been the prototype for Susumu versus Flamita, which came a few months down the road. I mean, you know, Everett's, in a sense, a, a, a poor man's Flamita. Or you could have done Susumu versus Conley, who they're clearly building up and who, at you know... It's night and day. As soon as he stops teaming with Scott Reed, Caleb Connolly finds something and it clicks with him. And I think those would have been much more interesting matchups than what they did with Chuck
1: Taylor. Oh, I am absolutely with you on that. And it's just kind of like a shame and something that, again, I kind of want to put pen on it because I feel like there's a lot of kind of interesting topics to talk about, like this last year of Dragon Gate USA. And I think Susumu is very much like a symptom of that, like, if you're as checked out as if you're more dialed into the product and you're more like this, wouldn't you want to have Susumu in a match where he can elevate young talent and not have a 10 minute comedy match of Chuck Taylor? I would.
2: Yeah. I think it, even in a loss, it would have done Caleb Conley a lot of good. Andrew Everett at this point, I don't think he had had any knee injury. So he would have been able to fly around and have Susumu base for him. It's just, you know, your three matches into the show, you've seen two useless squash matches and then this is a match with Dragon Gate Talent, and you still go like, oh, that was it? Well, I guess that's fine. I mean, God, what else is on this show?
1: Well, what's else on the showcase? Well, we have a non-title three-way elimination tag team match. It was the Bravado Brothers, the Open the United Gate champions, versus Andrew Everett and Caleb Conley, versus Chikara Sekigun of Fire Ant and Jigsaw. The two falls in this match was Jigsaw eliminating Everett and Conley with a quick roll up on Everett. And then the final fall was the gentleman's agreement on Fire Ant in 10 minutes and 14 minutes. I thought it was shorter than that. 14 minutes and three seconds.
2: I will say this up top. I am unironically into this Bravado Brothers thing right now.
1: It works really well. Like, I was not as high on the title switch here, but in this act and on this show, they come across like stars.
2: The heat that they got during their entrance is unbelievable. Because these are just dead Dranget USA Brooklyn crowds. They don't care. They're not invested in anything. The Bravado Brothers come out, and they care about hating the Bravado Brothers in it. <laughs> you know, I mean, every week since March, Mike and I have watched the Dranget USA show. A lot of the stuff doesn't blend together, but you just see a lot of the same thing. The Bravado's thing feels totally different than the scene or the DUF, or any of the Blood Warriors heel stuff. Like, this is a new act in the promotion, and I really... And it could change in the last four shows we have to watch, but for now, I really (laughs) like it.
1: And it's something that, with how everything is changing, with like a heel act like the Bravados, which is very much a we hate you, get get out of our promotion kind of... He kind of bolsters a very weak tag division, if you think about it. Like, this is not the the, the whole United uh, tournament weekend where you, had f- where you had four great tag teams here and then you had other people that you could always justify. Like, okay, well, you know, it's uh, Yoshino and Ricochet. They're currently champions. We can go set up something for that. Or it's not like Shima and AR Fox where it's like, all right, you could go have a solid match on a very bad show. It's, you know, you have the Bravado brothers and then the Young Bucks are on their way out and that's kind of it.
2: Yeah, and I guess, you know, after this match, Jigsaw turns on fire ant. So if we extend the life of trying to get USA a year, let's say we do that. You're going to have the bravados, some form of a Caleb Conley tag team, whether he's teaming with Everett or he's teaming with the soon-to-be premier athlete brand and probably Trent out of that team, not Anthony Nice. Uh, let's give them T Hawk and and Ata or some millennials combination. Let's give them Jigsaw and the Shard who teamed uh, on on Evolve shows together. Some combination of Fire Ant and somebody else. I mean, they're, it's an interesting division. You're right. It's not exactly, you know, Doi and Ricochet and Shima and Dragon Kid and Pak and Yoshino. But it's I'm I'm kind of into that idea. I would have liked to have seen that play out because even this match, like I thought it was a really good match. I I really enjoyed. The sprinty style from Everett and Conley and Fire and Jigsaw and then the Bravado brothers again just kind of knowing their role and playing it well.
1: Yeah, I went three and a half stars on this. I really enjoyed as this. As did I, yes. I'm a, I'm same boat. I really liked the, the Carolina boys tag team. Like Everett and Conley, they worked at like in this kind of thing. Like I would want them to have them in this in this perspective like 2014, 2015 Dragon Gate USA uh, tag team division as baby faces kind of like a young pistols. Like that's how they kind of felt like to me in this match.
2: The Everett and Conley tag team was interesting because this is really the rebirth of the Southern Indies. Because, you know, you had your wild side stuff at the start of the century, and then things go dark for a little bit, and Conley's a a Carolina guy who was working at a PWX. Andrew Everett is Kind of a homegrown CWF from an Atlantic guy, if I'm not mistaken, who was working CZW. He's from
1: Burlington. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. He's from Burlington. I
2: mean, he's working CZW and beyond and Chikara as Chiva Kid at the time, but he unmasks and begins working as Everett. And then we're a few months out from the infamous PWG three way with Conley, or I'm sorry, not with Conley, but with Everett, Cedric Alexander, and Trevor Lee. And from there, you know, it's a slow and steady rise for the Southern Indies, and, you know, this is certainly not the podcast to talk about the the Southern (laughs) Independence scene for a number of reasons, but it's interesting just to pinpoint that in the timeline of, like, here are two guys from the South coming in and making a name in a Gabe Sapolsky promotion, which did not happen often. So, I'm with you. I went three and a half. I really liked what they did here.
1: And and just to not not go too long on this analogy, or this train of thought here, but... Before that, you would have the Atlanta guys of AR Fox and UHA Nation as well.
2: Yes, that's a good point.
1: So you had all that. Uh, Case mentioned about this. Jigsaw turns on fire in post-match. He cuts a promo on a dead mic. Thanks, Gabe. Dead mic in the Brooklyn Lyceum. Uh, uh, but just uh, hold on. The-
2: we, we can't gloss over this. Jigsaw turns heel, grabs a microphone, and we cannot hear what he says. It's not even microphone feedback. It, the microphone is
1: off it's a dead mic humiliating and i
2: i just i i mean god like i paid for this show and i don't remember being annoyed about it then but i am so annoyed now i just oh god it's so bad and to not have a backstage insert with him i don't know maybe reiterating his point like it's just all so lazy
1: yeah and i mean like the one thing i'll say positive about brooklyn Lyceum, lyceum the sound bounced off all the walls because it was brick and all the sound just was reflected back So you could hear him even though – because the crowd realized, oh, wait, the mic's dead. We're going to be quiet. He was able to project, and other people later were able to project for that. But it just was such a defeating thing to see. It's just one of those things that's like, wow, we've really got to this point. Like Imagine what Susumu and, and Masaki Mochizuki said when they came back to Japan about this weekend.
2: Oh, I mean, I just, I, I would have been embarrassed to have Mochizuki in particular on this show. That's no to Susumu, but just to fly Mochizuki across the world to have him wrestle here, of course he never comes back. Like, are you kidding me? I, I wouldn't either.
1: It's just really, really sad and depressing. Uh, we didn't mention this in the match, but before the match, uh, Larry Dallas and Trey Michaels come out with two scene t-shirts, they're not just trying to recruit Caleb Conley, but they're trying to recruit both Conley and Everett Conley attacks Larry Dallas and they're not to be seen again for the rest of the show
2: Conley gave him a good slap that that had good sound that looked like it hurt
1: yeah I mean the sound in, in the Brooklyn Light scene the one thing I'll say as a positive is the sound carries there I get where Gabe was like oh yeah the fight club idea because as we get into like further matches on the show the sound reverberated really well so I totally understand that
2: which is funny because I kind of thought the next match was hurt by a dead crowd.
1: Yeah, so the next match was Anthony Nice versus Ricochet. Anthony Nice won with a 450 splash and 19 minutes and 41 seconds. It was a really slow opening to start.
2: Yeah, this is the kind of match that I associate late era Dragon Gate USA with, where it is a really long match that isn't bad. But also, like, struggles to be good at times. And this match got there. By the end of this match, I was really into it. But a really slow start in front of a crowd that just never really gave them anything. And by the end of it, it's it's, you know, it's 20 minutes later, and Nice ends up low-blowing ricochet and then getting the win with a 450. And it just it took too long to get there. I mean, I... I uh, what, what did you give this star rating-wise?
1: I ended up giving it 3.5 because it got to a place where I thought it was very good, but it was just so very slow. And then you had a finish that you've been... Anthony Neese has been beating people clean. But the thing is that before the 450, there is a distraction from Mr. Ray, and then uh, Anthony Neese hits the low blow and then hits the 450 splash. So it just kind of like brought it down. Like The one thing that I also have as Lady like a match... Ricochet cannot throw a good kick to save his life. Has he thrown a good kick in his entire career? Because I don't remember a single one.
2: Uh, I, his kicks didn't stand out to me one way or another here. I don't mind his offense. I kind of think when he's on, he does everything well, but that is a common complaint among some people. So I, I, I think there is legitimacy to that argument. What I wanted to ask you was about the booking of Drang at USA, which it really feels like we haven't, Discussed long-term booking plans on this show in a while, just because there's none to, to speak of. I mean, it's just just match after match after match with these weird angles that don't get over in between. But with Anthony Nice, he comes back to this promotion. He wins the six-way match at Open the Ultimate Gate. He wins at Mercury Rising. He goes to the Evolved Triple Shot in Florida, where he beats Samurai Del Sol in a singles match, then beats the Young Bucks in a tag team match. And then comes back to Dragon Gate USA and beats Tozawa, Uha, and Susumu, and now Ricochet. But if you notice, the next main event is not Johnny Gargano versus Anthony Nice. It's Johnny Gargano versus Trent Beretta. And then they end up doing Gargano versus Roderick Strong, which we'll talk about in two weeks. But they're clearly building Ricochet up for the WrestleMania weekend main event. Why? Is Ricochet either not winning here to get himself a big win going into that match? Or why is it that Nice is not challenging Gargano for the title after this? Because realistically, who else does Nice have to beat in this promotion? It's literally like Swan and Gargano are the two guys that he hasn't beat. It's just, it's a lack of attention to detail.
1: And it's one of those things like you had the Air Fox thing that you set up on a DGUSA show and you blew it off at Evolve the next the next show like there was like no build towards it for something that was supposed to feel like a big moment and it makes you wonder like what were like the long-term plans for Nice because it does not feel like there were ones but other than keep anthony Nice looking strong and i think the act is great like we've we've been on since he's returned and been like okay the premier athlete brand actually feels like a good thing right here but you don't and, and, and like ricochet taking a loss here when he when it's clearly at this time like even if we didn't already know we would know okay obviously Gargano and Ricochet is the next big match. Why is Ricochet picking up a loss here, even though it's not a clean loss? Like, I guess that's the one thing is like, oh, Knees had to cheat to win, but you're still kind of going like, what are you... It just really feels like that the situation with KinKi Horaguchi kind of completely just tilted Gabe and he just kind of threw together some matches and some finishes in some ways.
2: Yeah, I guess I can buy the, oh, well, he didn't lose clean, but I think that's a dumb line of thinking on the Dranget USA show like that's just not what this promotion does it just have just have Ricochet beat him because Nice on the next show is wrestling Rich Swan, which that kind of answers my question of what else is left for Nice well now he can at least wrestle Swan just have Ricochet beat him who cares Nice can get his heat back later like I just it, it irrationally annoyed me but this show was really easy to easy to pick apart because there was just or a lot of flaws on the show. But I think Gabe was kind of booking Nice like he was afraid that he could leave at any moment.
1: And and I would get that, but this is before the big NXT signing period. No, you know? I,
2: I, will, I will talk about contracts uh, a lot coming up later on the show. I think in our next match, I want to talk about contracts and then a little bit later on. But he... Book Nice, you know, have you ever heard that Gabe was always afraid to push Vornell Walker and Ring of Honor because he was afraid as soon as he would push him, he would get signed?
1: Yeah, I, I remember hearing that and completely like deposited at the back of my brain until he brought it back up again, which is just as perplexing as, as not pushing Nice. Well,
2: look, well, he's pushing Nice, but I think he's afraid to commit to anything with him with this idea that he could be gone at any moment. And don't you disparage Vordell Walker, okay? There is a uh, very passionate Vordell Walker fan base out there. He was nominated and I believe voted for by a few people in the 2016 Greatest Wrestler Ever project.
1: I mean, a lot of people can vote. <laughs> what about this next match, Mike? Well, before that, I want to talk about, like, talk about the dead mic there. Nice tries to cut another promo, which I was getting excited because I thought we were going to get another Buckley hey and then him just like (laughs) calling himself the best fucking wrestler ever which pops each time and said he noticed the mic was dead and he just decided to pose which is great i I am blown away
2: by just how good Nice and the whole premier athlete brand is at this time i had no recollection of them being as talented as they were
1: and then we was this where we had like the 20 minutes of intermission that was not cut out that is correct i did so 20 minutes of the same uh 30 second video clip being shown. This is before the China trip. Like sadly, we do not have the Dustin promo or the China clip to watch and repeat here. We just had 30 seconds that I quickly was like, oh, this is intermission. I'll go fast forward 15 minutes and another five. But we come back from intermission from for Rich Swan defeating Trent in 19 minutes and 54 seconds with a second rope Phoenix splash. And it's interesting now, like talking about like show-to-show booking remember how strong trent was booked up through the uh, enter the Dragon the fourth anniversary showcase kind of now backburner well
2: i mean let's think about that for a second he he wrestled john davis at ultimate gate in his debut and he he lost that match i believe and then Mm -hmm. yes he wrestled ata well uh, yeah he wrestled ata and destroyed him um and then had the weird three matches with AR Fox where he's booked very strong. So yeah, so he he has been booked very strong up to this point. And then he, he takes the fall here. What do you think about this match?
1: I really liked it. Yes. I, I, I'm just going to throw my star rating out here. And you can probably say like, okay, Mike, you're off your rocker here. Four and a quarter stars. I have no
2: complaints. You're a little bit higher on it than me, but... I I will say this. So, one, this was a rematch of the FIP Dangerous Intention show from October 11th, 2013, which, I mean, my God, this card looks like a special kind of awful semi main event evening gown match. Jessica Havoc defeats Maxwell Chicago. But I remember at one point ordering this show because Gabe put the main event of Trent versus Swan for the FIP title over so hard as this just ridiculous display of athleticism. You've got to see the chemistry these two guys have. So Gabe booked the rematch on the Drangate USA show where uh, not many more people would see it, but a few more people would see it compared to what FIP was doing at the time. And I said in my notes after this match, if I had any stroke in the professional wrestling industry, I would have offered Rich Swan a full-time television contract after watching him work in this match because I think this is as complete... an all-around and elite performance, as we've seen from Rich Swan, and I've been high on him the entire time. This was, his effort was second to none in this match.
1: Yeah, and Gabe wasn't wrong about the chemistry these two guys had. Like, it just flew and it worked. It had a level of brutality and then sprint periods that flowed really well together, considering the fact that Trent, at this point, has been really on the Indies for the first time ever in his career for like the last seven months and you know rich swan i think at this time is still like 22 like just insanely young at this point and it just like worked and like they would have like these really brutal moves and then swan would make a comeback and then you would have other things happen like the finishing stretch here might be one of my favorite finishing stretches on the shows that we've done recently just because it starts with an insane half nelson uh apron suplex where swan takes it on his neck and then springs off it and it takes another bump to the floor which is insane and just a very satisfying match that when i looked at like the runtime of this the show it's like okay some matches are gonna be really long and i don't like it but this was a match that was 20 minutes long and didn't feel 20 minutes long at all this is the type of match that
2: if you even have this on a card in 2011 if you're running this in a bb kings or one of the arena shows or any of the Midwest venues, I think Indy, Chicago, or Milwaukee, I think this gets looked at as kind of a late-era classic. But, you know, the crowd gets into this, but the atmosphere just doesn't allow for this to feel like an epic when it really should. Because you mentioned the apron suplex spot where, I don't know if Swan landed on his neck or if he landed on his face. I mean, he takes this this half-and-half completely over the top and then follows that up with... On the top rope, Trent belly-to-belly suplexes him, and Swan does a full 360 bump, and to an extent it's cartoonish. But think about how much bigger Trent is than the rest of this roster. Like, Trent is still a big, tall, muscular dude, and Swan kind of takes the appropriate bump off of it. Again, Swan is just on another planet in this match, and then he concludes with the middle rope Phoenix. I went four stars on the dot with the caveat that once Rich Swan would have walked to the back, I would have signed that man to a television contract immediately.
1: Yeah, this was a really special match, and especially on a show that needed a special match.
2: I completely agree. I mean, this is, it's just, it's like a, it's an effort four stars match because mm-hmm. I think had they had the same match but gone through the motions, it really wouldn't connect as well, but you could tell these guys were trying everything they could to turn this ship around and to an extent they did
1: oh absolutely and they did the best that they could given the, the surroundings and it was something that like you know i hate this venue and there's a lot of things i hate about it but like hearing like the thud of rich swan bouncing around was one of those things that adds like an extra level of brutality here that i hate the broken lyceum it's one of my least favorite venues i've ever seen in wrestling but it worked in this place
2: yeah, this was encroaching on the Fight Club atmosphere.
1: Mm-hmm. And speaking about the man that the Fight Club atmosphere was supposed to be based around, the semi-main event of the show was the Young Bucks defeating AR Fox and one of the five best wrestlers of all time, Misaki Mochizuki, in 15 minutes and 11 seconds with a more bang for your buck on AR Fox.
2: This is the final time we will see the Young Bucks in Gate USA. Your thoughts on that, Mike?
1: Well, hell yeah, brothers. You, you you left that territory and you got put over clean.
2: <laughs> so they end up, they work the January triple shot and Evolve, which we'll talk about next week for <laughs> a number of reasons. Uh, but yeah, their final match in Dragon at USA, they go over, they win the feud against AR Fox, which was the ladder match fray at WrestleMania weekend. The Nick Jackson versus AR Fox Evolve title match Uh, At Evolve 21, I believe, the Gate to Heaven match, and now this one, I gotta say, a pretty good feud. And the Akira Tozawa match from Heat.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a very good feud, and it's something with, like, Fox, like, I don't know how much we talked about it when he did his Tour of Japan. He was put into Team Veteran because they thought he looked old, and him and Mochizuki were a great team here. Like, Like, they flowed really well, it's fun having mochizuki with the young guys his partner is always a blast because you get mochizuki kind of directing traffic and then air fox does nuts things and misaki mochizuki proceeds to kick the young bucks a lot
2: i will say on this show that featured johnny argano chris hero Masaki mochizuki rich swan ricochet anthony needs whoever you want to mention in terms of just singular performances i thought the young bucks were far and away the most talented guys on this show
1: and, and it's something that, like, you, we know that they're on their, their way out, and we know that there's a level of heat there that bubbles oil over on that Evolve Weekend when we get to it. But they understand, like, of course they've worked Mochizuki, they've worked Fox, and they kind of, like, understand, like, how we're going to put this together in a way. It's like, oh, I have an idea. What we'll do is, like, Mochizuki is someone that should be able to see kicks coming, so he's going to duck two insecurities and get an ankle lock, and we're just going to power through it. And it just was a another strong Young Bucks match. I mean, this is not... One of the 50 best Young Buck matches of all time, which is kind of wild to say, but still a four stars Young Bucks match.
2: I'm at four and a quarter. I thought it was great, and I probably bumped it up a quarter star just because AR Fox at one point does a dive over the top rope, over the post, over the barricade into the front row. And I just couldn't believe he did that in this venue of
1: all places. I mean, that was a, even for AR Fox (laughs) standards,
2: that was a nutty (laughs)
1: spot it's not a Davy dive. This is his own singular dive. They, and the thing is that the side that he, he did it on was the side that was like right up against the wall too. It, it, so he so, could have so clipped many the wall. Things,
2: so many things could have gone wrong, Mike. It is insane that he
1: did what he did, but I'm glad he did it. And yeah, I thought that, I mean, I, four and a quarter stars. I thought this was outstanding. And now we get to the significant talking portion of the show. Uh, I have almost a full page on college ruled loose leaf paper uh, that I've written down for this. First, that they say that the Unbucks grab the microphone. Now they have a working microphone, which is important for the next segment. And they call—it's not exactly working, I should say. Like it, it like has some t- horrible feedbacks unless people are standing exactly still, as Chris here found out later. But the Unbucks call this Bush League, and they say that they are the best tag team in the world, and they refute. That 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 this is their last weekend. They say that they'll be back. They say that they want to have a rematch with the Bravado Brothers. The Bravado Brothers come out with the titles. The, the Bravado said, "Yeah, we do, but we want to have respect. You've known us for a while, but you've never given us respect. If you shake our hand right here, and of course this is the Bucks after the handshake gate, we will do the match here. But as soon as the Bucks went in for the handshake, they went a low blow and then they attacked them. They give. I I think it was Nick got the gentleman's agreement and then said, "Fuck the rematch and leave." to probably the biggest heat of the show.
2: It is, in a vacuum, a really good angle, because the Bravado brothers, like I've been saying, get genuine heat and are kind of awesome at embracing it. The problem is that this was like a five to seven minute angle that precedes the longest talking segment in at USA history. And this is a show that started at, I believe, nine o'clock Eastern time, And we're two hours in at this point, and now they're doing 35 minutes worth of talking back-to-back.
1: Yep, and it's—we'll get into this. It's time for a very special—I think it's the only time this has happened in a gay promotion. It's time for a roast case. The roast— Of Johnny Gargano, this was announced two
2: days before the show, a day before the the Queen show, where Gargano sent in a promo and said to celebrate two years of holding the title, he wanted to have the Drangit USA roster roast him. He invited Masaki Mochizuki the night before. Mochizuki uh, did not know what a roast was. He invited Barack Obama. Obama did not show up. Uh, Once again, the Barack Obama cares about me joke, pop me good for Johnny Gargano. That was a dumb line that made me laugh twice. What are your thoughts on the roast? Because I kind of have a bigger picture point I want to make, but just I want your thoughts on the segment first.
1: So one, Lenny the MVP, out there the entire time going to fans, including one of the most insane-looking fans <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> who they pointed out originally, and I, and I quoted the fan because he had a great line here because they first went the fans and then went a the roster, and then the, the fan said, he's gone through two he, two years of hell with Gargano. And then someone make, made a comment about how his mom cuts Gargano's hair. Gargano had a good quip about saying, hey, my mom's a licensed beautician. Good line. So,
2: it, it, good, it, good this line. segment was frustrating because it reminded me that Johnny Gargano is a super funny and charismatic person who is not allowed to be funny or charismatic in the WWE universe.
1: Well, he's just embraced being a Marvel, just edgelord. Ugh, so, I mean, that's uh, the problem there.
2: That, that, but, that, that is a problem.
1: And, and then you had Ronan and Ricochet come out, Chuck Taylor calling him an embarrassment. And then, Rich, and, and then Ricochet come out here just being angry that he hasn't had his title shot yet. And just completely just doing angry... A petty veteran ricochet promo which is his better side why has no one really embraced a good heel run for a ricochet i never know and then rich swampert comes out of guitar guitar and does holding out for a hero and then he adds in chris hero into that thing which infuriates jai gargano uh very very long very awkward to have this before a long main event and I mean, this is just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Well, can we get down to it?
2: Not only does Swan do holding out for a hero, he then does. I, I will call it a borderline homophobic. I don't want to directly give that notion to rich swan but it was questionable even for 2013 standards a borderline homophobic version of nutshell by allison chains <laughs> directing all of his hate towards johnny Gargano, which was a fascinating choice of song by rich swan uh and then i didn't think rich swan would be a grunge guy i believe this is the sammy callahan influence coming into play Possibly, uh. I, I guess I shouldn't say that, but I, I yeah, Swan busting out an Allison Chains. I mean, it was a hit, but it wasn't that big of a hit. It I had to kind of. It took me a minute to figure out what song he was doing, and I am certainly not an Allison Chains fan, but I figured it out. You also, I, I should also mention, John Davis comes out to attack. I guess Rich Swan at some point, but then Swan fights him off, and they go to the back, but we never see the payoff of that angle as John Davis is never seen again in Drag at USA. Case-
1: I didn't notice that that was John Davis. I just thought that Rich Swann did a toeback on hello on someone. Okay,
2: very funny you mentioned that. I had to rewind three separate times to figure out who it was. I thought I was just being dumb, but yeah, it was John Davis, but, you know, Linney's in the ring, he can't do commentary and say that's John Davis, and the venue is so dark that you can't tell it's John Davis. Yeah, it's just, oh my god, this whole... Such a disaster. The, the point that I will make about this in defense of this segment is that ever since Gargano turned heel, and you've seen it with his in-ring promos, uh, the the taped promos that are online that I've watched, it is very clear that Gabe was preparing Johnny Gargano to be a TV-ready wrestler, and I think if Gabe would have had his way, Gargano would have been signed WrestleMania weekend 2014, what ended up being the last Dragon at USA show. I think if Gabe had his way, that would have been the last time that he booked Gargano because it really takes Johnny another year or so to kind of refine his footing and evolve. And because he just he has, I mean, he beat everybody. He he had a, a two and a half. Year title run, he should have exited the territory at that point, and I think Gabe was doing everything in his power to get him to that point. So, was the segment good? No, was it a good idea? I I don't hate it. I understand why Gabe would try to do it, and especially from the perspective of trying to develop Johnny Gargano as a as a performer. I I don't like the segment, but I really can't knock it too much.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things that's superfluous, it's something that I would not have had on a three hour and 45 minute show. But I get this thing, in case you've been saying this for like the last month, that you could tell that he's preparing Johnny Gargano for this. And this is one of the things that Gabe has dialed in for Johnny Gargano and then Chris here in the main event here. Like he has the things he's interested in, and it's just very clear that two thirds of the show he's not.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I, I I mean, people have always said, you know, Gabe's flavor of the month, guys. And it's weird to think that Gargano at this point has been in the promotion for four and a half years and has kind of been the consistent flavor of the month. I mean, Gabe clearly saw something in him from like 2010 onwards. And, uh, I you know, I, I've really enjoyed his heel work. I, I talked a lot during the first year of his title run about how disappointed I was with him as a champion. This stuff I've loved ever since he turned on Shingo. I've been a huge fan. And and this segment, you know, it's just, again, it's not a great segment. But I try to look at Gabe's perspective on the bravados and on, Gar- on, and on Gargano. And when I think about it like that, I, I really can't knock it too much.
1: No, and I think that's entirely fair when you put it in that context. Then we get to the main event. It is for the Open, the Freedom Gate champion. It is Johnny Gargano defeating Chris Hero by referee submission as Chris Hero goes out and the Gargano escape in 25 minutes and 37 seconds.
2: This is a long match with a lot of drama. It starts hot. It finishes hot. I think there's a a minor lull in the middle. You know, I think it's a, a pretty good match all the way through, but there are times where it's certainly hotter than in other moments of the match. But ultimately, Hero comes back, and after working the hurricane the night before at Pro Wrestling Syndicate, he has his first real match back on the indies. And he clearly doesn't have his wind. He doesn't have the 30-minute match stanima, which is why things slow down a little bit. But my God, it's Chris Hero, and
1: he delivers in the big moment. And I think this is something that I... He, he went through a lot of crap on the show, but Lenny on the call here bringing up the fact that, you know... Chris Hero hasn't been having these kind of matches for several years now. Johnny Gargano could take him in deep and we could see what Chris Hero what his win's like and and they played and through the commentary, it played it off very well and it was very logical in a way that I actually really enjoyed.
2: Yeah, and it's a really interesting match from a structure standpoint where they start off where Gargano kind of pie-faces Hero, and Hero hits him with a big boot and gets a two-and-a-half count that the crowd totally buys as being a finish, that maybe it was going to be a nash Backlund situation where Hero, in the snap of the fingers, ends this two-year-long two, two year long title run, and then, you know, obviously things continue from there for another half hour. The big spot in this match is Gargano setting and delivering the pedigree to chris hero which chris hero kicks out at one of this is notable because it was uh, later revealed to chris hero in a story that he told on the kevin steen show where after this spot he heard that lenny and gabe high-fived each other at the commentary table which is such a funny visual to think about
1: (laughs) i i I can't see gabe sapolsky being a good hand five high five i always call a hand five i get made fun of it high five yeah it's
2: not it's not a hand five that's not a thing
1: I know, but my brain wants me to say that's a hand five. It's a high five.
2: I I love that, you know, at this point, Gabe's been around wrestling for 20 years, dating back to ECW, and arguably the corniest spot you could do the triple h pedigree parody (laughs) which which to be fair to be clear came across awesome it is an awesome spot where hero kicks out of one of those pedigree but just that's the moment where game's like yes like i like we nailed it this is awesome
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i mean this is also a time before like people were really going hard on that kind of stuff with triple h as like the head of the pc the chief uh I think it was chief operating officer for a while. So like, this is like, it was new when this happened. So actually like that, that high five maybe was warranted.
2: Well, it's, I mean, it's an awesome spot because I pop forth, the crowd goes nuts for it. And hero, you know, shows this last moment of like, it's, is he going to win the Drangu USA title? Like, I guess it, it, it wouldn't be the craziest thing. Gargano's reign has to end at some point. And I remember watching this live and just being grossly invested in this match because, You know, you really didn't know what was going to happen. You buy into the early finish, you buy into the late finish, and then Gargano eventually submits him with the Gargano escape. But it is a worthwhile journey. A a flawed match to a large degree, but it's Johnny Gargano and it's Chris Hero, and ultimately the good is going to outweigh the bad every single time.
1: Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about this match is... And I haven't really felt this a lot with throughout the promotion, especially in the iPay-per-view era. This is a match that I think watching live, you probably come away with this thinking like, oh my god, this is a match of the year quality match. You know? Just because of like Chris Hero comes in, he gets the flash two point two point seven five immediately. He we, we should say that during his interest, he the crowd goes insane for Chris Hero. Like and and then the crowd is molten for the rest of this match. This has that fight club feel. And you have, like, this really compelling story about, like, can he do this on his first real night back on the Indies? And it just is an awesome story. Uh, Johnny Gargano in this is not a passenger. He plays a great chicken shit heel at the right time and then is able to submit Chris Hero clean in his first big match back.
2: I love the booking of it. I love the execution of it. Despite, again, a slow period in the middle. Like I said, the good outweighs the bad. And I went four and a quarter on this match.
1: That's exactly what I had there. And it's, you know, like this, it'll be interesting to say, do you think this is the last great DGUSA match that's like true DGUSA? Because I kind of feel like this is.
2: No. There is, well, no, no, there's at least two more coming up that I know are legitimately great
1: matches. Okay. It, it, it's one of those things that just kind of popped in my mind while I was watching that, that I wanted to ask you. The post-match, Hero talks about psyching himself out there and he he does like a he does the go home the microphone shorts out on him constantly and he's like I guess I'll just stand right here and give this promo he talks about not having his one back and he talks about needing gold and how much he loves being back here and he's like I needed to get hit a couple times I miss that feeling and he says I need to have gold gold air fox comes out and he says anytime any place he then Chris Hero who was had his nose busted open and I didn't you, we couldn't see what did it because how dark it is but he does this really in 2021, I was like, oh, why are you doing this? Where he blows his bloody nose into his hand and tries to go for a handshake, but Air Force goes, nah, we're going to fist bump. You have your blood on your hand. And leaves the ring, and then he says... And, and Chris Hero, being Chris Hero, just is just very, just genuinely interesting promo person. And he talks about needing a shower and thanks the crowd, and that's it for the longest show in DGUSA history.
2: It's an exhausting one. I, I mean, if we were under the... Uh original idea for this promotion this premium wrestling product i think you lose the two squash matches at the beginning i think you i mean really the first three matches if you lose those which cuts out you know almost an hour from the show let's say this show begins with that bravados everton conley firing and jigsaw match and goes from there those are five really fun to great matches but as an 8 hour sh- or, or I'm sorry as an 8 match show that felt like 8 hours at times it's just an exhausting watch i mean it's a thumbs in the middle just off the idea of like i couldn't possibly recommend somebody sit through all of these
1: matches you you can't you you absolutely cannot and it's one of those things that there's a reason why most shows are under 3 hours because like dragon gate the only the only shows they only have like Five shows a year that go longer than three hours. Everything else is between two hours and three hours. You you, you can't keep someone's attention for four hours. I remember going to Bola 2015, the one that uh, Zach Saber Jr. won, and how exhausted I was at the end of night three because it was like a five-hour show, and you just can't put people through that, and you can't expect people to want to watch a three and a half hour show or three hour four hour, minute show unless it's like a big show, unless it's your Wrestle Kingdom, your WrestleMania, your Double or Nothing, your Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival. You just can't expect that. And especially as like a way that you have 35 minutes talk in the middle of it. The three matches that you talked about, like you could cut a lot out of the show and get a solid two hour and 20 minute show and it would have been great.
2: Well I don't know what the runtime is for next week, but I certainly hope it's shorter as we go into Revolt 2014 from the Queensboro Elks Lodge in Elmhurst, New York, a card that features Tim Donst versus Dick Strings, Chris Dickinson, Eva versus Sue Young, Caleb Conley versus Yosuke Santamaria, an open the United Gate match between the Bravados and Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy, Anthony Neese versus Rich Swan. A three-way match that I can't wait to figure out how they set up, because it is Fire Ant, Shane Strickland, and Mr. A of the Premier Athlete brand. And then the show closes with an Evolve title match between A.R. Fox and Drew Gulak, and an Open the Freedom Gate title match between Johnny Gargano and Trent Barretta. We'll have plenty of notes from Evolve next week, as well as the Gate talent that was supposed to appear on this show, but ended up pulling out for various reasons
1: and we will be entering the last calendar year of dg usa uh anything else you want to hit on before we got out of here four shows left and then we are finally done with dragon gate usa four shows left and we are done so that will do it for this time and open the voice gate we'll be back as we kick off the final four shows of dragon gate usa as we go into 2014 for case i'm Mike. we'll catch you next time